0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Shares for beginners. Basically, remuneration should get you to the culture and the outcomes that you expect. It should be designed to encourage long-term thinking, set up alignment with shareholders in terms of a company that does well, has to do well for all its stakeholders, it has to run its business well, but shareholders benefit from that. And we felt that it was not so clear on how the short-term incentives were laid out. They're the ones that apply for the first year and that it needed more focus on the long-term.
0: day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. What's an AGM and why should you care? Isn't a share just a ticker code on a screen? According to my guest today, there is so much more. Hello, Fiona. Hi, Phil. Welcome back. So we've done this before in the past. You know, we shouldn't try and fool listeners that we haven't done this before. But but each year, it's AGM season, isn't it? It This is what you're all about.
1: It is indeed. AGM season october november december
0: Fiona belzer is the policy and advocacy manager at the australian shareholders association and each year she organizes volunteers to monitor the performance of most of australia's top 200 companies protecting the rights of retail shareholders so just to go through the seasons in markets for listeners there's confession season reporting season and annual general meeting season have i missed anything
1: you perhaps missed that there's two of these. There's mm-hmm. the main season, which relates to companies that end their financial year at the end of June, and there's the mini season, which is April and May for those companies that end their year in December.
0: Okay. So um, what, which companies would they be? What's, a, what's an example?
1: Uh, Rio Tinto is mm-hmm. one that ends its year at the end of December. So we have its AGM in May.
0: Okay, so it's just there is one AGM per year, but um, for any company, is that the case?
1: That's correct. A company under Australian law has to hold their annual general meeting for their shareholders within five months of their end of financial year. So for Rio, it's May, Uh, for BHP, which ends its year in 30th of June. End of November is the latest. They can hold their meeting.
0: But the bulk of them are around about this period, aren't they? Yeah.
1: Most of the companies yeah. do in the year in 30 June. And that's why uh, reporting season, which you mentioned, is so busy. Yeah. Uh, the 60 days after June.
0: And so that's kind of August, isn't it? Reporting season, isn't it?
1: That is right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes them a while to actually get the accounts ready. So if you've got a 60-day deadline, it, they all mostly end up in August. And you mentioned confession season. Yes, what's
0: confession season? So that's prior to reporting, is it?
1: That's prior to reporting. The companies have to make sure that shareholders are aware of any changes in expectations. So when they get to the end of the year and the numbers aren't looking like what the company expected or media and stockbrokers are saying they they expect – those companies have to announce to the ASX so it doesn't come as a surprise if it's off 10 or 15% from the previous
0: year. An AGM season, I guess, is the culmination of your work in this area, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the AGM is an opportunity for shareholders to engage with the directors of the company. Those directors are charged with what we call oversighting strategy. So they don't actually do the work. They make sure the work is done done and the projects are implemented in accordance with a strategy, they're the ones who make sure the CEO is supposed to make sure that the CEO is doing a good job and being rewarded and retained if they are doing a great job or finding replacements if they're not doing a great job. So this is the opportunity for retail shareholders to meet with those those individuals who are the directors of the company usually if you're looking at the result season the ceo is the one who talks the ceo is the one who comes out and tells you how they are go- he or she is going to lead the the company and the executives and the staff to achieve a strategy and the directors are the oversighting body who who are responsible for making sure that the company runs to the benefit of shareholders and there's all sorts of theoretical talk about stakeholders and how important they are Um, but for shareholders those stakeholders are important because a company that um, say angers their local community and is unable to operate that hurts the shareholders. Mm. A company that has uh, environmental disasters and has fines and is not able to operate that hurts the shareholders so when I say looks after the shareholders there are all these other stakeholders that go into that looking after the shareholders and these meetings are the opportunity where you can eyeball those directors whereas normally what happens is you if you don't go to the AGM you just see the writing in the annual report you see the webcasts it's very curated and in some cases spun, <laughs> uh, where the story looks better than it than it should be. And having that engagement with the directors as an individual is the, what the opportunity is at the AGM.
0: So you can see the whites of their eyes?
1: You can see the whites of the eyes and they do have to listen to you when you make a negative comment and respond in a way, if it's going on a webcast, that will satisfy all the people who will watch that webcast as well as the people in the meeting.
0: I was just noticing on social media today that the Shareholders Association seemed quite impressed with John Mullins, I believe, as the, the CEO of Telstra. The
1: chair. Yeah, he chairs Telstra. The chair of Telstra. So Telstra. The Sorry, I'll
0: just get, the, I'll yeah, get yeah. all the terminology correct. So he's yeah. the chair of Telstra. And I remember he, he, talk, he spoke at the Shareholders Association annual conference and he seemed like quite an interesting guy, very calm and measured and, I don't know, almost spiritual in his... His approach, I felt. Um, And I think there's a company monitor who was very impressed over yesterday when the meeting took place with him.
1: The AGM for Telstra was interesting for ASA. So we really like to have our person in the room asking the questions. And with Telstra having a hybrid meeting, we were able to substitute the person who usually looks after the company, who is based in Melbourne, as Telstra is, when our person who was going to do the same in Sydney fell ill. That was a good opportunity for us to speak at that meeting. I think that John Mullins gained a lot of kudos because he is giving notice of his retirement. (laughs) So um, the meeting was a very long meeting with a lot of customer complaints. And our CEO and I were watching it and conversing in in the background, elect on socials, and we were just saying how he was very patient with people who had really difficult customer problems. Mm. And so for ASA members as shareholders, we feel that the customer problems shouldn't come to the AGM. But again, because you can see the directors and the whites of their eyes, a lot of customers who feel their complaint is not being adequately dealt with, take those complaints to the AGM so John was very calm and measured in um, allowing the people to air what their issues are and Rachel and I had actually thought that they should have had a very substantial customer focused addressing of issues meeting prior to the AGM because Mm. those people really want their problems fixed so yes we we were thinking a customer focus before like many companies actually do do a prior um, meeting before the AGM, an information meeting, so the likes of Altium, they'll run through their tech Mm. so the shareholders have a good insight into the tech. And that's just because they have them all in the room and they can talk with them. Telstra's big issue was that part of their business was converted into the NBN, which is not Telstra. And that meant that if you look at their profits from 10 years ago to now, they have been hurt by the fact that NBN was... Privatized, as in taken away, um, yeah. which had competitive all sorts of reasons and regulatory reasons for that happening. So, a lot of people were complaining, and a lot of people were complaining about things that Telstra had to navigate that loss, which was mm. like NBM apparently is $4 billion worth. So, if you look at the profit, if they kept it and made the same, they would have grown over the period. Mm. But Companies being companies, it's really important when you're buying a share to know what the company does. To read what the companies put out because they inform you so that you're not misled or deluded into purchasing them. So if they say the guidance is will be up ten percent in the year, that's when they ha- why they have the confession season because if they're not there, they have to tell you as soon as possible so mm. you don't trade with the wrong information. But so many people don't read the information. They follow the ticker as a momentum device. Mm. And um, if it's going up, it must be good. But if you're not looking further, you're relying on the greater fall that somebody else will be left behind when you get in, make your profit and get out. Much better to have an idea of what a company does, what it's worth, the type of expectations you can have. And that's how I would have made my purchase decisions. You know, if I think it's worth about this much and it's trading at less, nothing's changed, that would be when I would buy it. Like know what it's worth, know what the market is, execute when both of those agree.
0: So why should people think about proxies? I mean, a lot of people get an email saying that we've got the AGM coming up and you can vote at the AGM, but you can assign the proxy to other people as well. What's the importance of a proxy and um, why should listeners consider the ASA? I
1: think firstly, we need to remember it's uh, important to vote. With the vote, the vote is related to the number of shares you have. So lots of our listeners will have smaller holdings rather than, say, a big retail or industry fund that might own 5% of the company. But if a company has put a resolution to you say for the remuneration report and all the big holders say yes it's great and all the small holders don't vote well that tells the directors that what they're proposing is okay that everyone's okay with it because surely if you didn't like it you'd vote against it and if the smaller voters vote you're telling the company whether or not you agree with how they're running it and whether you're giving them permission to keep running it again And you can either vote directly for some companies. There's some different rules for different companies. Some you can vote yourself where you just put for or against yourself. Or you can appoint a proxy. And that can be John Smith down the the road or the chair of the meeting. With the chair of the meeting, they usually tell you that they will vote any what they call open proxies. So that's ones where you haven't ticked for or against, where you leave it blank. They'll vote those as the board recommends, so for the board resolutions for for Mm. some shareholder resolutions against. So you can appoint the chair or you can appoint the likes of Australian Shareholders Association. We have voting intention reports which you can read for each of the companies as to how we will vote. You can leave those votes open yourself and we'll vote according to our guidelines which we work on each year to Aim to have the best governance possible in the company. doesn't mean the company is going to do everything you want it to do that suits your personal circumstance, but it's the governance which is more likely to succeed to the better outcomes. So things like having a diverse board. When you've got a non-diverse board, there's this thing called groupthink where they drink their own Kool-Aid and approve all sorts of things that lead to loss, whereas a diverse board seems to make better decisions. Things like important governance matters, they're the types of things we vote on. So a lot of people will give us their proxy because they do don't want to be bothered reading the notice of meeting or thinking of the ramifications, and they're like, okay, well, you're talking to the company, you're reminding them that my grandma needs her communications by post or, um, you know, the rural farmer needs particular ways of dealing with, you know, with those shareholders. So we'll trust you to, Mm. you know, on the best case, make a better outcome. And with our votes, if you go... Vote for or against, we had in the Coca Cola scheme meeting, we had a number of votes given to us and a number were against. So the company actually phoned us and asked for our feedback as to why the shareholders were voting against that scheme. Giving us an open vote means that we pre- have more sway at the meeting, but giving us a directed vote has information content. So we'd recommend either. Just don't at- tick the abstain box unless you are benefiting from the resolution because that's telling the proxy not to vote at all Mm. and it's actually giving a not voting vote. So don't tick that abstain box, please. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
0: it's uh, interesting that you can get the the ear of the board just by the power of the numbers that you wield
1: i think there's two sides to that so Mm. we've about um over the years and covid really pulled things down between three and five billion dollars worth of proxies. So that's the shares by the share price Mm -hmm. of the people who've given us proxies. Yeah, um, Uh, votes
0: uh, VPS, votes per share. (laughs) Would that be uh, the (laughs) metric?
1: (laughs) Mm, It's one vote per share. So Yeah. yeah, number of shares voted. Some of it's that influence, but the other is the fact that the shareholder base, especially the retail shareholders, which are the smaller ones, are such a broad variety of people. And because... Surveys um, have shown ASA members actually give the same type of responses as all members surveyed. And uh, because people talk to us and we listen, we're able to distill the variety of views Mm. that the retail shareholder has. And some people, it's really hard to know how different companies work. You might your own industry that you've worked in or in your retirement you've experienced it can be so different so when you know we find when they get the companies start talking in corporate speak it lands differently in the ear or the brain of the different shareholders mm. so we can go back to them and say well that looks misleading to someone who's not speaking the same jargon as you are and encourage them to Respond in a way so that the information lands for everybody.
0: How can listeners assign their proxies to ASA? And do you have to be a member to assign your proxy?
1: Uh, No, you can give your proxy to anyone, just they need to attend the meeting. What happens with proxies is...
0: Sorry, the person you're giving the the, proxy to or the organisation needs to be attending the meeting? Yes,
1: and that might be, if it's a hybrid meeting, that can also be virtual attendance. But you can't transfer a proxy so if you give your proxy to Joe Smith and she can't make the meeting, then she can't give it to her neighbour and say, vote on my behalf. Only you can turn up at the meeting and your last instruction is the one that counts for the meeting, so you can take your vote back. But if Joe Smith doesn't turn up, that goes to the chair, that that proxy. With the Australian Shareholders Association, we're what's called a body corporate or a corporate proxy, and you write, in full, Australian Shareholders' Association. And uh, I've got a little story about Woolworths in a minute. write Australian Shareholders' Association and the registries will give us the total number of shares, not who's given them to us, but number of shares, how they've voted, how many are open for each of the resolutions. The story is uh, with Woolworths, they've had some sort of learning proxy form. It started out with Australian Shareholders' Association, I think with an apostrophe for shareholders and without, and then it's association spelt incorrectly and, you know, shortened, there's about 12 variations, and the company has promised that they will evaluate which ones are definitely ours and give us the total. <laughs> um, so, Australian Shareholders Association, don't put ASA because the Nethetists are also ASA. As long as they can tell it's us, those proxies come to us and we will vote them because the registry is aware of us, and now people have their um, documentation to say that they're representing us at that particular meeting. So that's all sort of organised and somebody attends that meeting and votes all those shares, but also asks questions as well.
0: So this year we're focused, among many other companies, on ASX, The Star and AGL. So ASA has helped to achieve a first strike on the remuneration report for ASX. Tell us a story about that and what the implications are.
1: ASX has had its first strike and while there are many companies that have strikes on their remuneration report, there are a lot of companies that were proud of having no strike and I believe ASX is disappointed with attaining that first strike. We felt that the way that the remuneration was being given wasn't in keeping with our guidelines which are basically remuneration should get you to the culture and the outcomes that you expect. It should be designed to encourage long-term thinking, set up alignment with shareholders in terms of a company that does well, has to do well for all its stakeholders. It has to run its business well, but shareholders benefit from that. And we felt that it was not so clear on how the short-term incentives were laid out. They're the ones that apply for the first year and that it needed more focus on the long term plus the exiting CEO has left when the project that the ASX is running to replace their chess system um, which is their clearinghouse electronic sub system. Which yes, is their... they're still
0: paper-based, as everyone <laughs> knows.
1: <laughs> which, yes, it's still paper-based. With the replacement of that system, the project has missed all its timelines, and at the moment we're all waiting to see when, when the replacement system will come in. It was launched with great fanfare. It was going to be using a distributed ledger technology, which is a bit like blockchain,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, but not blockchain, (laughs) and um, it was a first in the, the world at the start and it should have been coming online now, but there's been deferrals and at the moment there's been another delay and we are waiting to see when it will happen, but the ASX announced it wouldn't be before late 2024 so there's still a lot of that project to to continue with the change of the CEO we felt that there was a bit much termination pay even though it was all under the existing contracts so that first strike came about with the first strike the company especially one that cares about its reputation as ASX does has to go back to ensure that it's laid out its remuneration framework to help the culture to help with implementation of projects on time and in an orderly fashion. So we're expecting the company, they have actually engaged already and improved things for the new CEO, but we're expecting them to really double-check that so that next year they don't get a second strike, which then follows with a potential to spill the board. But their board has substantially changed, so it would be very disappointing if next year they were in a position that we would, say, vote against the directors as well as the remuneration report. So expecting the change.
0: and you, You'd expect, though, that the company that's actually running the stock exchange in Australia would really want to set themselves up as being a, um, a paragon of virtue in running the actual system, wouldn't you? Uh,
1: i uh, short answer: Yes. Mm. Uh, infrastructure, though, is very tricky. Yeah, especially you know with all our competition laws and the like, a third-party infrastructure so people are able to access it. But yes, I think that that should have been the primary goal was would be to maintain that chess replacement system, the chess system, so that it could function, the settlements could function to a high level and have an orderly, perhaps less exciting project um, (laughs) that was implemented on time. Because it does have ramifications for all the other players in the market, they have to be able to interact with the system. So their software teams have been busy getting ready for what is now a delayed project um, and you mentioned the electronic um, chess statements at ASA we get lots of people phone up and say how do I get rid of these uh, notices that I get after I buy a company I'm lucky if I hold it a day and three weeks later I get all the paper from the company saying hey you've joined us please sign up to everything and my chess statements which say you bought 10 shares, and the day later you've sold 10 shares, and on and on it goes. So, there is a project that was going to be brought in online at a similar time as the chess replacement project because there's a few ramif- you know, difficult bits that have to be managed. Um, electronic statements, they are actually available now, but the stockbrokers need to change their systems to make sure that they can interweave with that. And they were busy with a chess replacement project. Mm-hmm. So only a f- limited number, those who tend to be smaller, have actually pushed go and allowing their people to join um, and get electronic statements. The tricky part about the statements is the way the environment works. So when you're an investor... You have what's called an issuer. That's the company. So let's use Telstra because we've talked about it. It's easy. So you're a Telstra shareholder. You might give them information directly. The share registry that they employ are acting on Telstra's behalf. So you might give them your bank account details, your uh, email address that you want everything posted to, um, sent, sent to, or if you're old school, posted your address, you'll have a stockbroker. They will have contact details. They will have email details. They may or may not have, they will have bank details, but not necessarily in um, in a position that they can hand it to anybody that needs it because the contract may say they can only use it for their purposes, so yeah. for your um, CDIA account or whatever. Um, so they'll have the information but not necessarily freely available and transferable. The ASX through Chess may or may not have your information. And historically, I think it was 70% of the market email addresses were available. And I know most people these days have their email address available for their company um, investments. But only 70% are universally available. If you signed up for a company and it's not in the contract that they can share the information for the purposes of share trading, then they can't give the information away.
0: Okay, so the Star, and the ticker code is SGR, <laughs> just in case there's any confusion, has been found not to be suitable to hold a license in New South Wales or Queensland. What are the issues there?
1: Uh, the Star there's in- many issues. I think, there's isn't there's it? many issues. The Star Entertainment Group and Crown Resorts, which was a Victorian based gaming company um, with outposts right throughout the country. Both of those parties have failed to avoid money laundering. They have failed to meet the code for the Australian money laundering um, legislative requirements. A- AMLC. Uh, yes. That's, I've been
0: studying this. <laughs> that, that's
1: the one. So th- they've missed out on that. And a bit like when the banks were having their troubles with the Financial Services Royal Commission, it mm-hmm. kind of was – should have been the first thing the board and the executives were mindful of, like before we do anything, we need to make sure we meet our anti-money laundering requirements and that was not the case and with the star in um, the New South Wales inquiry and you can read the public reports of all these inquiries, they had linked up with a VIP gaming organisation and... They, there were things like using car, you know, credit cards for corporates that shouldn't have been used in gaming facilities and all sorts of failures to meet the highest level of probity, which is required when you're dealing with huge amounts of money and the potential for um, basically criminals to launder mm. their money and mm. you know be part of that. And they, they failed to do that. They've been found not to be suitable to hold the license. The report really sheets home the lack of the former CEO's presence in stopping, stamping out um, money laundering. And the board has actually substantially changed. But until they have someone who's considered to be uh, adequate to run it, the authorities are going to be running the casino. And if The star has to show cause, why it should keep its licence. And that means that it may be a totally different beast in the future. Instead of being an entertainment company, the shareholders will still own the properties, but for the moment somebody else is operating the casino and longer term, will they have to get an arm's length operator or will they have to run the whole property as an entertainment precinct without a casino? That is yet to be determined, and there's similar issues in uh, Queensland, and there were similar issues in the Victorian um, review. Found- Gee,
0: that's uh, so much uncertainty, isn't there?
1: It is a lot of uncertainty, but it really reminds me of um, when we had the GFC, <laughs> and they had a technocrat running the Italian monetary policy, and it's like, okay, maybe it's better. If somebody else runs the casino, because then we don't have to worry that they're not doing the right thing. It won't have huge growth, but it might tick it over and keep the you know the employment going, keep the um, revenue running through the theaters and through a more sensible operation. Mm. Because there are issues with you know gaming and vulnerable people, well gamblers being um, not being discouraged from from gaming in an appropriate manner so with without safety so at this time we don't know what will happen but when crown was going through the problem and that was ultimately sold to a um, private firm it was apparent that the properties could run it's like you don't lose the ownership of the properties it's just whether you can fill it up and generate income out of operating the properties in some way
0: Okay, so let's move on to AGL. AGL's been the focus of media attention because of Mike Cannon-Brooks and the way that he's been trying to um, put it into more of a climate-friendly kind of company. Tell us about the demerger fight earlier this year and how that went down.
1: Okay, so AGL Energy had been lagging on its transition to net zero And as we all know, the whole country was lagging and it's been quite difficult because we've had people who are proponents, strong proponents of moving to net zero, as well as proponents of the opposite and the middle ground and the complexity seem to be ignored. So AGL at one point was, AGL Energy was considering that if they were to break the business up, so into generation and the consumer business, that's, selling to the people in their houses and their small businesses, that they would be better able to get to a position where they could have a plan to transition to net zero. And we've seen Origin Energies also uh, ha- has strategies to move move on that, to have what I think um, Catherine Livingston at Commonwealth Bank called the glide path to actually transform from a very coal-rich generator of power To one that has far more renewables and can actually contribute to net zero, this is another one where it's very complex business. So all the coal plants were really old as well, which means they're not as efficient as they could be, but also coming to the end of their life. AGL had said that the financiers weren't prepared to lay out the extra money to give those plants that were at at the end of their natural life another lease of life. So. They, they did have a lot of difficult decisions to make. They felt if they went this uh, demerger route with uh, you know having a renewables business and a coal-fired business that they would be able to get the finance they need for the renewables because if you own coal fire and renewables, your finance is going to have to put that they give money to people with coal mines mm. even if it's only 20%, 30% or more of their business. So not having that there will in- increase their access to the money they need to invest. The concern was that that also may be a way of allowing them to break up the company so they could sell the coal business to someone who keep, wanted to keep running the coal and just walk away from that and just take some supply, just benefit out of their connection to 4 million customers. There was a lot of disagreement that Demerger took over a year to come to the market, as in to go to shareholders so they could see the scheme. It was felt that it was not the best plan by the likes of Mike Cannon-Brooks and many others, some of the big super funds who have people who work in this area and have worked in this area of, and have the expertise reviewing all these types of decisions. They, I think Unisuper said that they weren't going to support it either, which Basically meant that because um, only half of the shareholders vote with Mike Cannon Brooks' companies, eleven point whatever percent, and UniSuper, they could actually stymie the entire vote. So the vote was called off, and AGL said, "Hey, we'll go back to the drawing board and redo the strategy." They get gave two of their newest directors who had that type of background, the job of devising a new strategy, which was launched a couple of weeks ago. And in that time, um, Mike Cannon-Brooks has come back and is pleased with how the strategy looks, but feels like the board is still old school and not capable of making the most out of the transition. Because the thing about the transition is As we move to more electrical, say, vehicles, demand for electricity is going to go up. It is actually a growth opportunity to move to the new world, while it's also a cost challenge, a capital challenge. So that means like the money you need to run everything. And then, of course, we've got all the other issues we have in the market today with the Ukraine um, war and disruption to power supply and outages from coal-fired Um, power stations as well Mm -hmm. so it's a really complex situation the new strategy looks good but is it it will have to evolve in its implementation because you can't change the entire world in a 200 page document and the new directors they did add a good new director to the board themselves agl miles george but um mike cannon brooks has come back and gone well I think you need more, I suppose, renewable savvy in the boardroom. We've heard people say that we can't run the company with 11%. So just as an aside, ASA guidelines say we will generally support a shareholder having a nominee director in proportion with their holding on the board. So that'd be one out of the 10. Mm.
0: Um, With the 11% that uh, Grok, because that's the company, is it Grok Ventures? Yeah,
1: yeah. with all these things, it's tricky. It, mm. I, I would say companies associated with Mike Cannon-Brooks because right, okay. Grok Ventures is the family investment company. The ownership is in something called Galapagos. Let's just say Mike Cannon-Brooks Associated okay. company. MCB. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, 11%. We could be comfortable with a single nominee. That person, of course, can't go and give internal information like at, when you're a director you've got obligations to the company you're a director of even if you're a nominee of another shareholder you actually have obligations to all the shareholders but it does give you greater sway if you're if you have nominees who are there to do your bidding so what um can so book-
0: is it just to simply to put it simply that um, having four directors nominated by mcb would be um a misuse of his ten percent holding or eleven percent holding. Is that the way of it, putting it? If
1: if he had four nominee directors and you've got ten in the boardroom, you've almost in terms of the arguments and the discussions and the evaluations
0: Yeah, the weight that you hold in the a, room. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you you've got more votes in the board than than your shares warrant, yeah. even though all those directors still are supposed to be representing all shareholders. Hmm. But the trick with, or rather the variation with MCB's nominations is he is putting them forward as independent directors. And in that list, there are people who should know how to operate independently. I think there is a possibility that they can operate as independents and what really will determine that, is how the board itself will operate and where the shareholders will vote. So we're having feedback from retail shareholders that they don't think that MCB should have his way on the one hand and the other hand is like surely that the board needs as much help as they can get and these candidates look interesting. And that's what we're going to work through. We're going to be talking with them. We're going to ask... Um, how they see it operating. If the board has not recommended they join and they do get elected, that group of people are going to have to function and we want them to function to a high degree because AGL Energy is at a crossroad. The turn should have been taken five, ten years ago and they are playing catch-up. So it's important that the board functions as well as it can in a very complex situation. I think it's going to be a hard couple of years on that board I do hope we get the best possible outcome. And then there is how will Grock Ventures operate because they're very good at um, reaching out to the market and explaining where they're coming from and influencing outcomes. But they may have a different interest than the other shareholders. Mm. So far, though, they have responded quite positively in terms of at one point they were suggesting they have two directors and we came out and said, well, you can have one or double your shareholding, and then you can have two. Um, but they did change that, and they seem to have understood what independence is and sought people with external reputations. But, yeah, that's the hard the hard thing with all this because if it was easy, you'd just tick the right place and wouldn't have to Let worry about it. go off
0: and make money for you. On yeah, your behalf. It, yeah, it would yeah.
1: all come to fruition, but mm. groups making decisions is a great area of study <laughs> and um, –
0: Well, it's a really uh, interesting AGM this year, isn't it, really, for AGL? I
1: I think it will be. I envisage that the board will let all the directors speak to Mm -hmm. their election, and, you know, in some AGMs, chairs don't, but these days they often do, so that will be interesting.
0: So it'll be a bit of a beauty parade, will it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Might be a bit of a gab fest, Mm -hmm. I I think, because you've got to convince people on the day. And, of course with MCB putting them up as independent, he can't have a say because once he starts swaying people, that is...
0: Undue influence, isn't it? Well, it
1: it loses that sense of independence. But Mm -hmm. I would say that if the shareholders nominate the three candidates, if they get 85 to 90% vote, well, they could retain their positions even if MCB is really unhappy with them. So to some degree if they get strong support from all the shareholders that will lift their ability to be independent but i don't know there's still a lot of water under that that bridge as many of us will you know shareholders and people who are determining votes will be figuring that out in the next week or two
0: Fiona bowser thank you very much for joining me today
1: thanks for talking with me phil love it
0: If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and
1: educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice, and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for
0: beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast.
1: Hold up. What was that?